You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey folks, this is Jason Lewis, the producer of the From the Shadows podcast. I just want to remind you about our website, fromtheshadowspodcast.com. We have a Facebook page. We would appreciate it if you like and follow. Also, join our discussion group on Facebook called After the Shadows. We have a Twitter feed. Please follow us on Twitter. It can be found with at podcast underscore from. Follow us on Instagram at From the Shadows Podcast. We have a YouTube channel. Go to the search bar on YouTube and put From the Shadows Podcast and please subscribe to that channel. We are also on the Odyssey Radio Network and we can be found there at odyssey1.com. We're still on the traditional podcatchers that everybody loves to listen to us on. We get a lot of feedback, so please rate the podcast and communicate with uh, whether you're on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or Google Podcasts. We're there, and we appreciate it when you leave comments for us. We also have a Patreon page. It can be found at www patreon.com forward slash from the shadows you can receive books stickers coffee mugs and special content just for our patreon subscribers check it out for yourself and see what packages that we have to offer well that's all i have for you right now folks and thanks for being a part of the from the shadows podcast family so with that being said let's get this episode started Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the From the Shadows podcast. I am your host, Shane Grove, and joining me tonight is Jason, the super producer. Greetings, everybody. And somewhat under the weather is our dear friend and co-host, The Judge. How you doing, Judge? I'm way under the weather, but hey, anything for the podcast. Like a trooper. Like a true, like a true. <laughs> well, if anything for the podcast, I'm kind of hungry. Could you bring a pizza out? Because I how about a knuckle? How about a how about a knuckle sandwich instead? <laughs> what is this? What is this like a like like a Three Stooges skit or what? Knuckle sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, you you punch him and I'll hit him with your gavel. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. That's terrible. We're bad. Well, um, so joining us tonight is somebody we're very excited, uh, very excited to have on. And uh, we have mentioned it before that uh, for some crazy odd reason, our podcast is very popular in Iceland and some of the other Nordic Scandinavian countries uh, across, you know, over in Europe. You know, what? maybe they don't know any better. Maybe we're just that charming, but we figured that we would we would get a expert, and she is an expert for all intents and purposes on Icelandic folklore to come on and kind of you know let's 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 hear what what's going on over there in Iceland. So, so tonight, us- so tonight we're paying homage for our Icelandic <laughs> listeners. This is for yes. you. Yes, this is this is for you. You know, so if we got anybody from uh, any other parts of the world, you guys need to step it up, okay? And then we'll pay homage <laughs> to you as well. <laughs> so joining us tonight is author Heidi Herman. Heidi, how you doing tonight? 
I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm I'm thrilled to represent for the Icelandic people. It's awesome. We're hey, we're super super glad that you uh, chose to join us from Iceland. Oh, wait a second, from sunny Arizona. So I yeah, I'm here in sunny Arizona. Yes, <laughs> because because it's more like Iceland here in Ohio right now, or we're. Where we're at, yeah, right. <laughs> so, so Heidi, so so let our listeners in on, um, you know, a little bit about yourself. Like, uh, if you're in Arizona, why why is there a book in your bibliography about Iceland? My my entire heritage is Icelandic. My my mom was from Iceland. She was born and raised in Reykjavik. My grandfather, my grandparents back for a thousand years have been Icelandic. Um, and my parents actually met in World War II um, when he was an American uh, stationed there and she moved to the States. And when she was about 88 years old, she wrote her memoirs of growing up in Iceland and talked about the Hula folk and the monster worm and the Yolas Venar and Grilla and all these wonderful folklore and mythology. And I just thought we need to write these stories down for Americans to read because they're awesome. And so that's, yeah. <laughs> did you just say monster? Did you say monster worm? Is that I you... know, right? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I love it. <laughs> so, so I'm sorry, Jason. All our plans about going to Iceland and doing a doing a tour. Is, it's over now. To, you don't. You, mean, you don't want to try to tackle that monster worm. Not unless I'm going oh. fishing or we're watching. <laughs> no, I gotta no, be no, honest no, with you. No. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. When I was a younger man, when I was a younger man, I attacked a. Uh, a monster worm at the bottom of a bottle of tequila. Yes. And, uh, I was never the same after that. that that's what I was going to say. Unless we're watching you or Jerry try to get a monster worm out of the bottom, bottom <laughs> of a bottle of tequila. I'm going to assume it's quite different. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, so you, I, can, you can, you can look it up. The, the grainy photographs and images, it is exactly like, uh, the creature that is in the lochs in Scotland. So Loch Ness monster, monster worm in Iceland, very similar creatures. To really, really, yeah. And what? So why did they call? Okay, so give us a little, give us a little lesson on the monster. Why? Why would they call something that looks like the creature in Loch Ness, according to the photographic evidence that I have seen? That doesn't look very worm-like. Unless you're, um, you know, not familiar with what a worm looks like, because oh well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you you've ever heard the expression "it loses something in the translation." <laughs> the the Icelandic <laughs> language is, um, is is very old, and it's it's the closest back to the original Viking language and the, the Nordic base uh, for a lot of those Scandinavian languages. But Icelandic has actually changed so little in the past thousand years that if you can read and understand Icelandic today, you can go back and pick up a book that was written a thousand years ago and you can understand it and it's the same. It's even in English, like trying to read Shakespeare. The words have changed. The way they're written is, you know, just kind of odd. But Icelandic is not. So translating some of the stuff is is a little difficult. But it actually refers to the best I've been able to figure. It refers to like a lingworm. Um, and so the the monster worm, it's kind of sort of like I don't know if you think of a wingless dragon. You know, maybe in Chinese culture, yeah. the dragons they have there, but just without the the flight, which just more were, along that line. Yeah, which were referred to as worms. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. You're not selling. You're not selling me on um on on the monster worm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you, so you know the, there's 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 so, nothing about the Loch Ness monster that has wings. So I know. I know. Same animal. So, so what is the what is the legend then behind the monster worm? Like what uh, 
you know, where, where does that originate? Um, there's, there's a lake on the eastern side of Iceland called Lake Lagerflot, and that uh, creature has been seen there. Um, I think the earliest recorded was in the 1400s. And they, they've actually documented it. But the one that I find most fascinating is in the 1980s, they were laying telephone line across that lake. And they saw some type of disruption. You know, nobody wanted to say they saw something. They just, you know, there, were, there was some type of, I don't know, something that they saw in the water. Uh, but when they were testing the line, it didn't work. And they had to pull it all back out. And this is heavy underwater cable. And it was crimped in like 28 places, exactly in the spot where they saw that bit of distortion. So there's something under there. I'm telling you, there's a monster under there. I would, you know, that definitely sounds like that is something that needs to be researched for sure. Exactly. I mean... Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. That's I've and never if you, heard. And if you think about it, the 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 volcanic activity that's in Iceland and all the lava tubes and all the different uh, subterranean uh, caves and things that are there, it's not that big of a stretch to think that there could be an underwater way to get from Iceland to Scotland. It could happen. So you're going on the record to say that the Loch Ness Monster vacations in the summer. <laughs> in wow. That, okay, so, I mean, it's funny, you know, we're making a joke about that. But it's funny that you, like, the belief of the under, you know, subterranean caverns and, and tunnels and stuff, that is tied, like, even in the United States here to cryptids appearing, you know, one place and then appearing in another and, and seemingly disappearing without a trace, you know, that there's, you know, how could some of these things hide and never be seen? And it's because mm -hmm. of the, supposedly because of the tunnels and the underground systems of, of, uh, I guess, transportation, for lack of a better term, you know, you can get, go from one point. And why couldn't you think that about something that's in the water? You know, that would even make more sense, you know. Exactly. Yes. Yes. That, mm -hmm. that, that, that's a great, think about. That's a, that's a great, uh, <laughs> that's a great story. Not, oh boy. Oh boy. So what, so what else, what are some of your other favorite folklores and legends from Iceland? Well, of course, at this time of the year, we talk about Grilla and the Jolis Venar, which are the, the Yule Lads, because in Iceland, you know, they don't have Santa Claus. There is no such thing as Santa Claus stopping by Iceland and dropping off gifts. Doesn't happen. They have more of an, an anti-Santa, if you will. Instead of trying to be good so you get gifts, the goal in Iceland is pretty much is don't be bad. Otherwise, there would be consequences for it. So, you know, it's 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 a much easier target to hit, I think. Um, <laughs> now you are selling Iceland to me. Now you're selling it to me. And the judge, the judge I can hear him thinking right now, like, just don't be bad. Well, so, so, so what you're saying is that the Icelandic version is more of a Krampus situation. Where it, don't do something bad or like Krampus. Krampus Yes, okay. because now, now Grilla, she goes back to about 1300. And Grilla was known to have like 10 ears on either side of her head. She has feet like cow's hooves. She has this long, you know, 100 tails. And children were always told that if they're bad or don't do their chores or complain too much, you know, Grilla can hear that and she's going to come steal you away and throw you in a cave and fatten you up and make you into bad kids too. Ah. And so, you know, pretty much your, your goal is just don't be bad because well, you know, obviously I, we want to avoid that. 
<laughs> I got to be honest. I could see where a mall version of that would probably not go over very well for kids to go. But, <laughs> so I can see why, why, why it never probably really took off. <laughs> Holy so, smokes. So, yeah, in, in today's world, you know, somewhere along the way, you know, Grilla is this horrible ogre, you know, that everybody's terrified of. But she has like 100 kids. And so there's 13 of her troll offspring that are known as the Yule Lads. And those 13 characters have really been solidified as the Santas, if you will, of Iceland. And about, you know, in the 1700s, uh, 1746, they actually passed a law in Iceland that parents weren't allowed to tell these stories terrifying their kids anymore. Um, So they kind of toned it down. And now these 13 trolls are more mischievous and they're going to hang about your house at Christmas time. And, you know, they're the ones that drink the milk and leave the empty container in the refrigerator. And, you know, they take all the shiny stuff and, you know, they knock on doors in the middle of the night and, you know, things that go bump in the night. So, so now, now they're just mischief makers, but they will leave you a present in your shoe. So there's something. Okay, now this isn't like a hamster getting loose and leaving a present in your shoe type of situation, is it? Wow. So here, so we go to the like, so these are like trolls. Wow. So we go right to the trolls. So the trolls are this. So what is this? This is just the, the, the mental picture of this whole situation of this. 100 tail 20 year woman and 13 troll like kids like so where where did the kids come from like what what is that is there any like backstory to that is there some tragic tale or um, you know who, who's the father of these kids well you know Grilis had several husbands and and apparently she's sort of a black widow and so she uh, she has her kids and then she kills her spouse. But um, oh, the most recent, <laughs> the most recent spouse that they had on record, um, and my my Icelandic is not as good as it should be, and I I always have trouble with his name, Lapalvi, um, believe is his name. Um, but he's lazy and he doesn't do very much. But he's pretty much credited with being the father of the Yule lads. So they live up in the mountains um, by Lake Mivat in a place called Demaborga. And they stay up there all year round. And starting on December 12th, one troll comes every single day until you have all 13 of them like hanging out at your house. And then on Christmas day, they all leave one day at a time and go back to where they came from. So pretty much from December 12th, through January 6th, you've got at least one troll in your house or as many as 13. Well, this sounds, that, that sounds like a long party to celebrate. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they figured out a way to really stretch this out. Because I guess exactly. I assume there's like a tradition then with each one, kind of maybe like our 12 days of Christmas in America or something. Maybe there's something that you do each day special to welcome them and then send them back on their way sort of deal? Well, it's it's more that you have to be aware of potentially what they're going to do to you. So like the first one, his name is Stekister, and it uh, translates to sheep coat cod, and he's going to be one who likes to steal sheep's milk. And then... Gilyagur is gully gawk and he likes cow's milk and each one of them is going to have their own particular mischief that they have going on in your house one of them steals spoons one of them likes to scrape all the food left on dirty dishes which i personally got to think that one is convenient 
because I personally have this thought, well, I don't want to offend the trolls, right? So maybe I'm supposed to leave dirty dishes in the sink to like feed them, mm. you know? I mean, it, it, it sounds like the polite thing to do. Right. Quite honestly, they can have all my sheep's milk. You know, any sheep's milk they want. <laughs> that just sounds terrible. I mean, <laughs> so I'm more intrigued about the about the Christmas cat. Um, if I'm not mistaken, of Icelandic lore, with Grilla, doesn't she have a giant black cat that creeps around and uh, and, and supposed to kill people? She she does she does. His name is Yola Katurin, uh, the Yule cat, and I have a theory about him, and I'll I'll share my theory with you because <laughs> he he comes down um, also around Christmas time, and and his deal is he wants to find anybody who does not get clothes for Christmas. And he'll pretty much, you know, snatch away. And I guess, I guess eat you if, if you don't get clothes for Christmas. So it, it, it would be a nice incentive to say, you know, put socks or something on your Christmas list. Mm. Um, and personally, I think that particular mythology is not necessarily based in anything real, but I think a lot of the Icelandic mythology is just making it so much easier to get people to fall in line and and work with the public good. You know, it's kind of like in in America when we say, you know, tell tell the kids don't touch the stove, it's hot. That's the first thing they're going to do. They're going to touch the stove because they don't really believe you. You know, and it's like, ah, uh, you know, now now you burned your hand. You know, but if you said don't touch the stove because if your hand gets near it a troll's going to jump out of the oven and eat your hand, you'd probably think twice, you know, about touching the well, stove. Well, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, think, I think you're absolutely correct because all those years that all I got was socks and underwear for Christmas, <laughs> okay, I wouldn't have put up such a fuss if I if for a second I'd have thought well, there's a big Yule cat out there that's going to that's gonna eat me if I don't get these socks and underwear. You know what I'm saying? I, mean, I know. Sounds, it sounds to me like a parent, like some parents, like, listen, I, I don't want to buy my kids toys. They're, they're spoiled brats. Okay. <laughs> they need socks and underwear. Let's just make this Yule cat thing up and scare them into <laughs> one. You know, I mean, that doesn't sound any fun. That doesn't sound, sound very fun at all. <laughs> well, one of, one of the big um, products in Iceland, and if you kind of go all the way back to Viking times, a really important commodity that they have is their sheep and the sheepskin. So at every spring you let all the sheep go and they wander the entire country and, you know, they, they eat and they go up to the mountains and, and they just spend the entire summer just grazing and doing their little sheep thing. And then in the fall, you go on Roundup and everybody rides up to the mountain and they take the dogs and everything with them and they bring all the sheep in and they have these really big um, circular uh, sorting pens and they bring all the sheep into that and then they sort them based on the little notches on their ears so they know who the owner is. And then they sort out all the sheep and then they do all the shearing and anybody who helps with the shearing gets a bag of wool as part of their payment, of course, in years back. And so the time it takes you from September to work your bag of wool and you spin it and you make it into cloth, you should have new clothes by the time Christmas comes. So my theory is anybody who didn't help with the roundup, that's who the Christmas cat is coming after is uh -huh. because those are the people who don't have new clothes because they were lazy. So basically, so basically, that's a tale told to uh, get people, like you said, quit being lazy and get to work because you see. Yeah, what's coming. that's what I think. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, that's amazing that you can um, take a look at some of these things and see the practical side of each one. You know how it was how it was applied and used. To uh, for practical purpose, just not some sort of entertainment kind of 
kind of purpose. Mm-hmm. So. I like it. That's what I, I love about Icelandic mythology and, and kind of all the Scandinavian mythology. Because if you think of some of the stuff that, you know, maybe is more English, you know, you have your princes and your princesses and, you know, they're always beautiful. So beautiful equals good. And, you know, the prince has to slay the dragon and the dragon's bad, you know, because it's ugly or whatever. But in in Icelandic mythology, I mean, I've got stories where you have to make peace with the troll and um, coexist, you know, and it's it's just a, a great way to teach kids that everything and everyone has their place in the world and everybody has a right to exist. And every animal and every troll and whatever it might be, it it all has equal weight. And we need to coexist and learn how to be happy together. And I think that's a much better um, just outlook on life and philosophy. I agree with you. Yeah. Which seems kind of funny to be taught that lesson by a troll. You know, anything I know about trolls. You know, they're always curmudgeonly and in and, and terrible disposition and, you know, but what, but where do you, so, so speaking of trolls, what, what are the differences between like a troll and a gnome and a fairy and an elf, you know, when it comes to, to, to whatever's inhabiting Iceland, you know, why, why is it trolls in Iceland? Well, what I know of fairies is they like to live in the forest, and Iceland has a definite shortage of trees. So they're probably not very comfortable because they don't have any place to hide, would be my guess on why they don't have many fairies. Um, But trolls, I don't know. I think trolls are like almost a protector of the land and, you know, they got to be very comfortable there. Although they have trouble with sunlight. You know, every time sunlight hits a troll, it turns them into stone. And that's why Iceland just has such wonderful formations and sea stacks you know, that are along the coastline. And yeah, you can look at so many different things in the cliffs there and you see, you see all the trolls. You really do. Um, but they have mainly trolls and then they have the Huva folk, which are the hidden people. And they're the ones that really protect Iceland. And I think the last time they did a survey, 60% of the people in Iceland won't say that they don't believe in the hidden just in case because the (laughs) hidden are definitely ones that you do not want to offend. Okay. So tell us more about the people we don't want to offend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they, they can choose to be seen, but most of the time you're not going to see them. And they're the protectors of the land and the rocks. And they're the ones that are going to make sure that humans do not, you know, destroy the land or anything. And when there are certain rocks there, you can't just move them to make a road. You know, if you go visit Iceland and you're driving along, there's going to be a number of places where it looks really odd, where the road will all of a sudden take some weird turn to go around a a big rock. Because if you move those rocks, you could offend the hidden and they will retaliate. You could have, you know, your cars not work. You could have mudslides. You could have equipment failures. There's all kinds of bad luck that can come back on you if you mess with the hidden. So, uh, okay. So how do you know which particular like rock or, or whatever place it is you're not supposed to, I mean, what, what signifies a place that you're not supposed to mess with? Well, it's, it's best not to mess with any of it. Cause you just don't know. You have to, it, I think they have some experts there where sometimes you have to call in an expert to figure out if it's, you know, part of their home 
but I, I think that's another part of just the philosophy. It's best just to leave the landscape as is and not mess with it too much because, you know, that just in case you can't risk it. <laughs> now, <laughs> and, I, and we were speaking a little bit, you know, even before the, the judge joined us uh, tonight about our kind of real, you know, we're starting to really get into the whole little people lore. Um, and by the time this episode airs, we'll have already had on another episode about some uh, crazy, angry gnomes that terrorized a family in California. Okay, so, so oh my. where, yeah, so where, so where do you see the origins of these legends about these? trolls and uh the hidden ones you know where where, i mean do you see these based in actual sightings or an actual um you know colony of little people that lived in iceland and you know maybe got driven uh into the hills by uh your other europeans settling iceland or something or or you know what's your thoughts on that well, they they do tell stories that the the hidden actually date all the way back to Adam and Eve, and they're they're the children of Eve that she had hidden from God because she didn't have time to wash them all up before one of God's visits. So he said, oh, if "You're going to tell me they're hidden." Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. I never, I never heard that. Uh, yeah, so she she the children that she had all cleaned up and bright shiny clothes and that uh, you know God met with them and and said, well, the ones that you have hidden from me are going to be hidden from everybody, and that's that's where they came from. Um, but throughout Icelandic mythology, I mean, you know, again going all the way back to what we call the settlement days. Um, The Icelandic folklore and mythology, so much of it is like recorded in the sagas and like the prose Edda by Snorri Sturluson. He wrote that in like 1200. And a lot of Snorri Sturluson's writings were the origins of the entire Nordic um, folklore. You know, the the stories of of Thor and Loki and Odin and Slipner, the eight-legged horse, all that is based in Story Thurlson's writings from Iceland. So if you look at that and then you look back through all these different tales in the sagas, it's just peppered with all these stories of unexplained happenings and sudden appearances of shapeshifters or these very, very beautiful people that you had to be careful not to offend because if you weren't um, hospitable to them and didn't offer them food, then all of a sudden, you know, your property got hit with lots of misfortune and, you know, your fishing vessels will come back with no fish and, all of a sudden, you know, your your sheep wouldn't have any lambs or the, you know, cow's milk would dry up and just all kinds of terrible things would happen. So it's just became part of that whole life philosophy. When a stranger stops by your house, you extend hospitality and especially if they're attractive, because apparently the hidden folk are very, very attractive creatures. So the more attractive a stranger is, the harder you have to work to be hospitable to them. You know, isn't that just like, that's just like it is in real life with good looking people. You really got to kiss their butts and be extra nice. <laughs> I mean, come on. Right. I mean, I mean, that's all, that's what it was like for me in college trying to date, you know, I mean, you're like, uh. <laughs> Well, you know, when you're talking mythology, it makes sense because you, you've got the ugly covered with the trolls, right? So. Yeah, and that's so interesting that that the mm. hidden ones would be considered the the most be- you know the most beautiful. 
that's that is a very interesting concept there that that they would be the most considered the most beautiful so so let me ask you this is the is the nymphs part of the hidden people or is that part of a separate uh, fairy lore <sighs> you know i would have to go research that i always thought nymphs were more water creatures and you know, there there is some mythology um, in Iceland about some water-based trolls, and they only came around at Christmas time, and whoever was left in the house would always be dead the next day because these trolls would kill them. So, yeah, uh, lake dwellers. But yeah, so I don't think that's the same mythology as nymphs because I always thought nymphs were kind of more sirens, maybe. Yes. Yeah. That I, sounds I, right. I, I remember <laughs> reading somewhere. I remember reading somewhere where um, this guy tells this story, walking along the river and sees this incredibly beautiful woman, and she seduces him, and then lo and behold, she disappears, comes back months later, and she has his baby. And now this baby is half, you know, half fairy, half human. You know, know, through history, I've read things like that. I was wondering how those fit in since nymphs are supposed to be incredibly beautiful. And I kind of think we've, that's where we get the word actually of nymphomaniac from uh, Western culture, play on words there. Mm -hmm. Hey, careful. You know, we were talking about our college days, but let's not get too carried (laughs) away. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) well well i would say as far as that particular mythology iceland is probably more along the lines of the seal skin um because they have um a legend about a man who was walking along the seashore and came across a woman who was crying and you know so he asked her what was wrong and um Apparently, the seals would come onto um, the shoreline, and when it was a full moon or whatever, and they would take their skin off and become human, and they could dance around and have a good time and that. But as soon as morning came, they had to put their seal skin back on, and that way they could jump in the ocean and go and uh, live their life there. But she was so beautiful that when he discovered her skin, you know, in a cave or something, he hid it and wouldn't let her have it back. And so he just kept her on land. So that's another type of nymph story. But I would say that the mythology of Iceland, it was probably something that started as the same mythology. But since they were left on their own in an island since like, I don't know, 900 they their own mythology just kind of grew into its own unique interpretation. Mm. Wow, that's see, that's I mean, fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I'm hearing stuff I've never heard before. I mean, and that, Same that here. whole, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's so then you can see where, um, you know, like a seal skin legend could turn into a mer, you know, to the mermaid type of legend. Um, especially mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, the Vikings and stuff, you know, going and, and, and coming in contact with other seafaring uh, people in those days. So what, so what, what, as you were, you know, writing the book and doing some research, what was the one thing that stood out as, you know, if this is real, I really don't want to, I don't want to encounter this. Okay. I don't, other than the lady with a hundred tails in 20 years. You know, there, um, there, there is a very interesting historical subculture, um, in Iceland that was very deep into, sorcery and witchcraft and 
that was probably, you know, kind of like the more real scary stuff that I encountered. There is a fascinating museum up in the West Fjords that is a, a museum of sorcery. And they have actual witch books. And if you if you kind of think of, you know, those little pocket Bibles that a lot of people carry, they're, you know, about pocket size. They had little books about that size and they were like little notebooks and they would write down the spells that you would need on a regular basis to get through your life. And they have like um, when you plant in the spring, the spell that you would say over the land to make sure that, you know, um, the seeds would take root. And there are specific spells that if you're pretty sure your neighbor stole something, you could cast a spell that would make them become truthful and admit it to you. And then if that spell didn't work, there's another spell that you could do to kind of give them bad luck to force them into coming and admitting what they did. Um, And it's just, just, pages and pages and pages of all types of different spells you might need to, you know, go through your daily life. And that's the part, if all that were true, that's truly terrifying to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I could, I could, I can definitely, I can definitely see that. And, but that is, you know, people practice that to this day, you know, and mm-hmm. it makes you wonder why people got away from, from that because that apparent, you know, it seems to me at some time that was the more popular um, practice, you know, to it. I mean, because none of that sounds like really too evil. It's just using natural, uh, natural things to try to solve problems, you know, whether it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stuff from the earth or, or whatever, and then maybe add the little flare of, uh, you know, uh, the little ch- spell or enchantment or whatever on top of it. But um, it just makes you wonder why that, uh, why that fell out of f- f- favor so much. Judge, well, do you have, judge, you <laughs> are a judge, like, like, you know, well, what is your opinion on that? Because I think you probably, well, I mean, you, you got to understand that <clears throat> from a European standpoint in the 1200s, 1400s, um, witchcraft became a really bad thing. So, like the first, I think I was just watched this the other night on TV. The first witch that was put to death in Ireland was like 1400. Um, so you know, at some point there was a, a sea change when it came to sorcery and black magic. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. it, it, at some point. It's at some point Christian Judeo religion took over and paganism was no longer the flavor of the day. And with early Christianity, um, people looked at, at the devil and everything. And, you know, you've heard the expression, the devil's in the details. And so every time something bad happened in someone's life, they looked to blame somebody. And it was always, you know, there was always somebody to blame and maybe they were in league with the devil, and maybe they were a witch, and and different things like that. So, you know, practicing, I think, what's the term, white magic, you know, people throw around today. Mm-hmm. So I practice white magic. That, there there was no white magic, you know, from probably 1200 all the way up to the 1800s, uh, because any type of magic was considered, you know, you know in league with Beelzebub himself. So I think that whole thing fell out of out of favor there between that those years. So, but now it's back in style, you know, Wiccans and different things like that. Back in style. That's an yeah, it's an interesting um, point right there for sure. And then you wonder, like mm-hmm. you said, Iceland is kind of was kind of like off all by itself for a long time. Maybe it took a took a little bit longer to fall out of fit favor there than, you know, the rest of Europe. 
Yeah, they were yeah. they were ruled by Denmark for a long time. So a lot of the um, religious uh, and uh, legal aspects were kind of merged together, and so they would uh, Denmark would send over priests and that, and they would kind of run things over there. And so they had certain ones that decided that they were going to clean things up and and get rid of the the witches and the Wiccan and the ones who associated with the trolls and demons and the like. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, keep in mind, <laughs> and keep in mind there was a real there was a real black and white period um, after the Dark Ages. Okay, and you you come in this new era. Everything was black and white. It was either, you know, you were either, you know, for God, of God, or, you know, it was the devil. And you go back to the Viking Age and the Danes, and the Danes were non-Christians um, early on. So, and, and eventually, you know, Christianity ran, you know, won over the Vikings at some point. But, you know, there was no in-between. There was no gray. It was either, you know, it was good or it was evil. And if you did something that was non-mainstream— um, they was evil. So, you know, trolls and things like that would have been considered, you know, not of, you know, not of Christ, not of God. So that would have, you know, leaving stuff. I can't imagine that, uh, you know, leaving stuff out for trolls to celebrate that kind of stuff would have been real popular among staunch, you know, Christian people at that time. Well, no wonder the trolls were so angry. Then because, <laughs> yeah. because they fell off. Yeah, they've been off. replaced. Now, now keep this in mind. I, I, although I was a history major in college, I I have no, I profess no knowledge of Icelandic history. Okay, so I I can't. No, I'm but, just guessing but, based upon European, on European trends at that time. Well, you know, after tonight, I think we do have quite a bit of knowledge of Icelandic history because this has been very. Very enlightening, for sure. Oh, yeah. I love the practicality <laughs> well, of these myths. I, I really do. Yeah. The, the conversion, that is that is a great story. The, the conversion of Icelanders to Christianity. Um, you know, they did kind of didn't want to go to war over this, and they, they called their, their smartest guy and, you know, wanted advice. It's like, you know, what do we do? And he went home and thought about it, and he came back, and he said, well, you know, accept it. And he he led the entire country. They converted to Christianity literally overnight because they decided what you do in the privacy or your own home is your business. And to me, that was just brilliant because on the surface, overnight, boom, everybody accepted Christianity. But a lot of these pagan beliefs— and, you know, your trolls or, you know, celebrating the winter solstice, um, which is when Grilla comes, you know, a lot of those pagan beliefs um, are still a part of it. Like, it's very interesting to me that when you look at these Yule trolls that come at Christmas time, when they leave one by one, they finish departing on January 6th which is Three Kings Day. So there's something about the calendar and how the celebrations run in the Christian world that seems to match up with some of these pagan beliefs, which is super convenient. Yes, it is. Yes, it well, is. you have to understand, though, from a historical standpoint, when the Emperor Constantine of Rome decided that he was going to convert everyone to, you know, the Christianity, which, you know, Rome bef before that was thrown Christian lions. And Constantine, you know, was riding into battle and he saw a, a giant uh, burning cross and it told him that, you know, Christ was real. And long story short, Constantine decided, hey, look, the entire Roman Empire has become Christian. But the problem was with that, there were so many different sects of Christianity, and there was this group called the Mystery Religions and things like that. And that is why, you know, biblically, 
they really, you know, historians believe that Jesus of Nazareth was born in July. However, in order at the Council of Nicaea, they brought in all these different religious groups. They had to come up with one Bible. Okay, they had to come up with one set of, you know, of, of uh, celebratory times and things like that. <clears throat> there were certain concessions made, and there was one, what they call the mystery religion, that celebrated the winter solstice. And so through the art of negotiation, Christmas falls upon December 25th, when in, in reality, most historians and most people at that time believe that Jesus was born in July. But there were concessions made when trying to pull all these different areas together of allowing different pagans' religions to put pieces of their own beliefs into one unified religion. Perfect. That that works out well, yeah. yeah. Now, should I which start to you ask? Yeah, which so, is why when you ask, how is it that there's you know, what coincidences the Christian calendar is with? It's it's because there were concessions made to to get everybody mm -hmm. on on one. It, and well, that, that worked out very well for Icelanders to be able to celebrate some of their pagan things in their home, but on the surface, having converted to Christianity. Right. Yep. And it all and it also explains why, uh, you know. The box stores and everybody else that's commercialized is now wants to start celebrating Christmas in July. They figure we can start double dipping because well, that, well Christmas <laughs> in July has been around a long time. I know, and uh, you know it started as the, it start, Christmas in July started as you know hardcore Christians who said, "Hey, look, Jesus was born in July. We're going to have Christmas in July." And then, of course, you know. Um, you know, retail stores and, and calling cards and stuff like that are never going to miss a great opportunity to cash in. So they cash in. Absolutely not. That's capitalism at its finest, man. <laughs> goes mm -hmm. hand in hand. Goes hand in hand Love with it. religion. Goes hand in hand with religion most times. <laughs> okay. So, so, so Heidi, so why? So you've told us why you picked to do this book on Iceland. How, how many times, you know, do you, have you been, get to spend some time in Iceland and, and explore the country or, you know, or is this just done totally from the comfort of Arizona? <laughs> no, no, I've, I've lived in a couple of different places. I'm, I'm in Arizona in the wintertime. Uh, I currently call South Dakota home in the summertime. Uh, but I try to go to Iceland at least once a year. I did not make it there this year, but I've I've been there nine times. Um, I have a lot of family there yet, um, and it is definitely the best place to go to to research more mythology and come up with more stories. Definitely. Nice. You're so high. So high. I'm sorry. Go so ahead. let me ask you this. You know, we're talking about folklore and mythology and, and and when you say folklore when you say mythology most people um believe that folklore is something that was made up to teach a lesson you know we have folklore here but is there in your research any modern day monsters creatures that the people of iceland are 100 percent convinced is real like for example we have sasquatch we have dog man we have creatures like that does iceland have anything contemporary that people talk about fearful of things like that well i i think everybody has their own beliefs but i think there's an awful lot of people that um don't doubt the existence of the hidden folk and the monster worm i think there's a lot of people that that probably think there's something to those but as far as monsters beyond that, uh, the one thing that is truly unique about Iceland is there are actually no indigenous creatures that live there except the Arctic fox. Really? Nothing else lived in Iceland. So uh, if you think about, you know, back in the settlement days, you know, like 860 to 900, when they first started arriving, you know, um, there, it, it wasn't like settling, you know, 
America where you could, you know, grab your gun and go out and shoot a squirrel or a rabbit or maybe take down a deer or something like that. There were no living creatures in Iceland except for the Arctic fox. That's it. Well, what did the and Arctic fox? Well, I was going to say, what did the Arctic fox eat? <laughs> what, did it sur- <laughs> what did it survive on? Or did it just eat everything? And then- well, yeah, there's, there's birds there. <laughs> but, you know, every now and then, you know, you might have a wayward polar bear that, you know, happens to come in on a little iceberg or something. But they're not indigenous to Iceland. And anything that lives there now, uh, there's no natural predator still. But reindeer weren't introduced there until the 1800s. You know, dogs and cats came over with the Vikings. Um, yeah, but there, there are even very few insects. So, well, yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> am I right to say that Iceland is the only country in the world where there's no mosquitoes? <clears throat> there are no mosquitoes, correct. None. How about okay, that? now you've sold me. Now you have <laughs> the trip's back on, and right, Shane? The trip, the trip's back on. Let's let's <laughs> go ahead and book the live shows for next summer. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I just gotta look out for the Icelandic fox and maybe some troll or something. I don't know. Oh, jeez. Well, hi, well, hi. I kind of want to see the blue lagoon. <laughs> you want to see the blue lagoon? Oh boy. Yeah, we're very fancy. <laughs> so, so Heidi, what? <laughs> this has been a lot of fun getting to learn about Iceland and about some of the mythology and stuff. And, um, and like I said, we were talking before, where we we really do think that a lot of mytho- mythology, like a lot of the creatures, a lot of the stuff that is talked about, is based on some sort of reality. And more so than just, you know, a, 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 something to keep kids in line so they accept their uh, wool socks and underwear for Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of kind of think that that, um, especially when it comes to the little people, for sure. Um, but, I mean, it's been great to hear the, you know, the mythology about Iceland. So what, tell all of our listeners who have enjoyed listening to you, because I'm sure... There's thousands of them out there that have that are that want to learn more about your book. Um, tell them the name of the book, how they can find the book, and then maybe let them know what else that you've uh, what else you've written because you're not just a one trick pony. <laughs> yeah, I've I've written I've written a few in a couple of different genres, uh, but all Icelandic in theme. Uh, of course, my, my most popular book is called The Guardians of Iceland and Other Icelandic Folktales, and that's where a lot of these stories come from. If you're interested in the seal skin or the changeling or the hidden folk, all that folklore is in The Guardians of Iceland. Um, for Christmas time, my Yule Lads legend uh, is the story of Iceland's Yule Svenar, and it's focused just on those 13 trolls of Christmas. Uh, so those are my two that I'm I'm most fond of, but I also have an Icelandic cookbook, and I've got a novel, and um, and I've got a new nonfiction book about living the lifestyle of Icelandic philosophy and how to embrace life and have more fun. So, yeah, I would be remiss. I would be remiss if we didn't talk about the changeling because it's one of my favorite pieces of folklore <laughs> okay. give us the okay. give us before the skinny we, before we leave let's talk about the changeling all right let's go you gotta talk about the changeling now the the changeling that is actually one that uh is a story that came from my mom and she would tell me that story because because of the uniqueness again of the icelandic language it is, is a very pure language, and one of the things that they have is that you cannot name your child just anything. You know, you have to name your child a name that already exists. Um, so my mom, her name was Ida Jonasdotter, and Ida 
is a very unusual name in Iceland. It's it's not very common. So the um, her sisters used to give her a hard time, um, you know, that uh, she was a changeling because she didn't have a proper name. So the story of the changeling would be that when a child is born um, at their christening and they get all these gifts from all the the fairies and um, the the hidden people. And in order to protect the child, they were given one name that's hidden and one name that everybody uses. So that's how you protect them from becoming a changeling. Um, so that, that was my mom's favorite story is because she was protected because she had this secret name that nobody knew about. But... Um, the traditional changeling stories would be having the perfect baby that all of a sudden starts crying and they're just miserable, horrible. Um, and you're just certain that your real true child has been swapped out for a troll baby. And that's your changeling is because they're not human anymore. They're, they're a troll. And isn't there a method by which you could determine whether or not your baby had been switched for a changeling and there was a way that you could get your baby back? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Hang on. <laughs> I'm, I'm pressing you. I'm pressing you. <laughs> I you know, know. I know. You're going to make me remember my mythology on that one. You know, oh, my gosh. Really, he's, really, he's really proving <laughs> the fact that he changeling is his favorite. His favorite legend, his favorite story. <laughs> he was a lion. Uh huh. <laughs> and and I don't know if I remember how you tell. I'm going to have to look that up. Well, Judge, do you know? <laughs> and you're just testing. You're just unfairly. Well, testing. I, I got to be honest with you. This is this. I think is one of those. Let's pass the gavel moments and encourage our listeners to look it up because I, I have seen, um, I've seen a couple shows about changelings and then folklore with that and stuff like that and ways by which you can do it. And there's ways you can torment the child and that the, that the, that the, the troll baby, the, the fae baby, whatever it is, uh, there's certain things that can't stand and that you would, you know, you can draw it out. So I think that's a good jumping off point to encourage people, hey, go look it up. Because that's mm -hmm. part of the fun with folklore anyways, is, is, is researching and, and learning new things instead of just being told to. Well, let's be honest. And we can, we, we can call on all our Icelandic listeners and all my Icelandic family, somebody come bail me out and tell me from the Icelandic perspective how you determine <laughs> if you have a changeling troll baby. Now, now Judge, I, I, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. If somebody showed up in court next week for potential child endangerment and they said, look, I'm just trying to make sure my child wasn't a troll baby, uh, are you going <laughs> to buy that? Uh, i got to be honest with you. I don't prejudge cases. Um, everyone's innocent until proven guilty. And uh well he, we just lost connection with the judge so we didn't have to hear that uh complete and total lie so <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, so heidi why don't you tell all of our listeners who are now one searching and scrolling the internet for uh their version of the changeling how they can find your books and how they can um you know just uh, follow you and then become a fan because uh I'm sure they're going to want to go out and grab a couple of these Icelandic tales and uh, share them with uh, their kids. Because that one book looks like it would be a fun book to read to your, read to your kids. For oh, sure. yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. Yes. Um, all my books are available on Amazon, online retailers, Bonja and Noble. You can get them at the local store or online. If they don't have them in stock, just ask for them. Um, I have social media under Heidi Herman, author. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the From the Shadows podcast. Until next time, never shy away from the darkness 
or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out. <laughs>